1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. When I was a kid, you've heard me talk about we've always had dogs. I love dogs. We all, we've always had, we always had dogs. Gloria will remember this. Uh, the, the first dog that I remember, we may have had some before, but the first dog that I remember, and Gloria was around a lot longer than me, so she may be able to tell you, but was a little Pomeranian that was given to me or to us. How many of you are old enough to remember when you didn't buy dogs? Like somehow you just got them. Like people just like, hey, we're moving. Here, have a dog. Hey, we found this dog. Here, you can have a dog. And you just didn't turn dogs down because you were human, but Bernie. But you, you never bought it. We never bought a dog. But we had this beautiful, full-bred Pomeranian. His name was Sugar. He was six, six and a half pounds. Without hair, he's probably four, four and a half pounds. And he was an outside dog. People today would put him in a car carrier and walk him around the airport. Let me tell you, Sugar was a alpha male dog, and he ran the dogs in the neighborhood. I don't know how the six-pound dog did it, but they did. And we would put him outside, I still remember this, at night. Like, you remember that? It, like, turned at night, and mom and dad would put this dog outside. No collar, no leash, nothing. Just go run with the wolves, boy. Go run. One night, Gloria put him out, and he never came back. We put up signs, lost dog. But in that time, you didn't read signs for lost dogs because the rewards were five bucks. I was up in Northern California this weekend, and I saw a sign for a lost Labrador, $1,500. Man, we canceled all of our preaching services. We're just looking for that dog. $1,500. bucks. Then we had a terrier I've referenced in church. His name was Buddy, and I love that dog. It's the best dog I ever had, about 20 pounds. Everybody in my family hated him, but they've been wrong about everything. And he's kind of a wire hair terrier, and I love that dog. He'd play with me, slept in my bed. I mean, he was the dog. He was the best dog we ever had. Hands down, by far, amazing, amazing dog. Buddy was fantastic. I love that dog. Loved him to death. He had only one problem in life. He chased the tra trash truck. That was his one issue. And talked to him about it, kept chasing the trash truck. We didn't have Buddy very long. Not all dogs go to heaven because I'd like to see him again. And then, and then we had a dog named Princess. Princess we got when I was seven, and we kept her till I was 20. I was in college. My parents didn't tell me the night that they took Precious or Princess to the vet when she met eternity. I found out later when I came home after about 15 minutes of being home for the first time from college, I said, hey, mom, dad, where's the dog? <laughs> My mom goes, oh, Gerald, you didn't tell him. He goes, I thought you told him. I'm like, nobody told me what happened. Well, we had to take her to the vet and she's with Buddy now. The princess was an awesome dog. She's great. She was a comforting dog. She's a good dog. I love that dog. She's a lot of fun. She'd play with you. Highly, highly intelligent. She had this really amazing knack. She could sense trouble like nobody's business. She was amazing at sensing trouble. 
but only trouble that related to her. If she was going to go to the vet, she knew the way the car started. It had a vet sound. She's going to, if she was going to get like a, like a, you know, we believe in not treating our dogs like humans. So when she would mess in the house, she got dealt with appropriately. We didn't give her like a reward. And uh, she would know. She'd see us when we came in and she'd run and hide. She could hear the bath water in a house where baths were regular. And she would know the sound of the bathwater. And my mom, I don't know if Gloria remembers it. I remember my mom saying, don't say the word bath. We wouldn't say the B word. (laughs) I didn't think about that until just now. (laughs) We wouldn't say the word bath. We wouldn't say princess. We would like write words out. And my mom would just go into the bathroom like normal, turn the water on and get it ready for the special occasion. And I'd go to the bath at night, no big deal, turn the water on for the special occasion. That dog would hear the water and take off running. You know where she always ran? She ran underneath my parents' water bed. Some of you aren't old enough. Somebody came up with a stupid concept to get a big giant balloon, make it really thick, put water in it, and sleep on it. And they're like, oh, that'll be great for your back. How many of you ever slept on a waterbed? Dumbest idea in human history. Just that dumb idea. Some of you might come to you, I'm like, I still have my waterbed. Well, that's why you're going to your chiropractor. So, but anyway, my parents had this waterbed. We moved that waterbed all over the country too. And, and Princess would hide it. And, and I've shared this a little bit before, but there was this little, like behind the headboard of my parents' bed, there was a, a little area that, that she could get back in. And then down in the middle of that, between two bookends or, or, or drawers, I guess it is, on both sides of the bed, she could run down at the bottom of this T. Every time she heard anything, every single time, she would run to that bottom area at the bottom of the waterbed. And there was a time I was the smallest in my family. And so it was my responsibility to climb through there, go down the tee, and grab that little dog. And let me tell you, when you've got your hand extended and the dog can see in the dark because they're adjusted, they have a tactical advantage. And that dog would bite my hand. Thank the Lord it wasn't a Rottweiler. I'd be here like, that dog was down there. Uh, She'd bite my hand all the time. And we'd pull her out and give her a bath over and over and over. Princess had this really sad knack of running from the very thing that was going to help her the most. Running from the very thing that was gonna help her the most. Our text this evening, the Apostle John is writing, and it's important to remember he's writing to confront and, and uh, to really attack false doctrine that had gotten into the church. There were two groups, the Docetists and the Scythians, and John is writing to the churches. It's called a general epistle, meaning it's not to one specific per- person or one specific church. It's to all Christians everywhere for all time. The, that is the audience, literally, We are the audience that John is thinking of through the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God. It's a general epistle. It's for you and me. John is writing because the Docetists and the Scythians were teaching, each each group were teaching a major flawed doctrine. 
One of them was teaching that Jesus was nothing more than a holy hologram, that Jesus was just what, what they called an emanation, just a, a picture that you would see, a mirage would be another word. And you could stick your hand through him and he taught principles, but he was just like computerly generated graphics. They didn't know what that would be, but that's what, how they viewed him, that he wasn't a, a real person. He was artificial deity, A.D. That's how they viewed him. And the other group believed that Jesus Christ lived on this earth in flesh and blood, but when he went to the cross of Calvary or before he went to the cross of Calvary, as he entered into the sufferings that Christ would go through and ultimately pay for our sin debt, they believed that Jesus didn't pay our sin debt, that Judas died in his place or some other person. Some people say different names. Judas would have been the most prominent, but that somebody else died on the cross instead of Jesus, that Jesus never died for the sin of mankind. Well, you should write this phrase down. Bad doctrine always leads to bad behavior. Bad doctrine always leads to bad behavior. If you have the wrong view of Christ, you have the wrong view of salvation, you will always have the wrong view of sanctification. People can be way too rigid. People can be way too lax. Regardless of the issue, bad doctrine always leads to bad behavior. And so John is writing this book, and he's helping them to understand some, some very vital things. And he starts with this term of tremendous affection. My little children. It's a term that was used of a teacher to students, like a one-on-one -on -one tutoring situation. Or a grandfather and the 96-year-old John, who's 96 at the time that he writes, roughly 96 years old, would have been considered a grandfather. He had no wife. He had no children. He had never been married. He had never been a father. He had cared for, cared for Mary, the Lord's mother, uh, his entire life till her passing. And he had absolutely no family, it seems like, outside of extended family, no immediate family. But he viewed Christians everywhere as his family. This special term of affection. My little children, I love you. I care for you. It's understood. That's what he's saying to them. My little children, these things write I unto you. He's writing them unto them because they needed to understand some foundational truths about what we would call sanctification or being spiritually clean. He's not mad at the church members, though this letter will often be corrective in some ways. He's not angry with them at all. His tone is, is not one of passivity. His tone is one of, of compassion. It is one of being absolutely focused on the truth. He is enlivened by the word of God as he writes this. His desire is that the children not run from Christ, but run to him. But we see in verse 1 that he delineates the problem all men have. My little children, these things write I unto you. Though this is not the purpose of the book, the purpose of the book is found in 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. But this should be a, a subservient purpose to this book, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. We see firstly the problem all men have. The problem all men have. The problem all men have is a sin problem. It's a sin problem. 
John moves from the affectionate plural word that we would read in verses number one of chapter one, where he said that which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of God, all these plural pronouns that now he's saying in verse number two, with, with authority and compassion, my little children, I write this to you, don't sin. Don't sin. It's his affectionate desire. It's his passionate plea. Don't sin. Don't fall into sin. He's writing believers here. You say, how do you know he's writing believers? Because he says, my little children. Part of the same family. We're serving the same Lord. That's verse number one, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which our hands have handled and our hands have looked uh, and our hands have handled of the word of life. And he goes through and he talks about the person of Jesus Christ in chapter one. And he says in, in chapter two, verse number one, don't sin, don't miss the mark. Don't fail to hit the mark. Don't intentionally walk away from God. Christianity is first and foremost, listen to what I'm about to say, is first and foremost an ethical religion. The ethics are written down by God. Don't, here's what he's saying, don't break the ethical requirements that God has listed. And people will say, well, well, I think I can do this or I think I can do that. And John says, no, 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 don't sin. Don't walk away. Don't miss the mark. Don't do your own thing. Don't live in rebellion to the one who has paid your sin debt. Keep from sinning. Don't let anything interrupt your passionate pursuit of holiness. In your personal life, with your children, in your marriages, in your dating life, don't let anything interrupt that. I'm writing this to you because I'm telling you, don't sin. And people will sometimes say, I know it's wrong to do, Pastor, but, but I think God understands. No, 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 no. God says, don't sin. We've been studying Romans chapter 6. And I had such a joy this week studying verses 12, 13, and 14. And uh, man, that whole chapter 6, 7, and 8 are all about the effect of justification and justification brings sanctification in the life of the believer. Justification makes our behavior different. Justification makes our behavior unique. We, we don't act the same when uh, because of salvation. We don't think the same because we're of salvation. We have a new mind. We have a new body. We have new actions. We have a, a new outlook. We have a new approach. And, and John, or rather Paul, finishes up Romans chapter 6 with that passage in verse Verse number 23 that people often use for the Romans road to salvation, but it is not written to lost people. Romans 6.23 is written to save people. We can make the application, no doubt, to lost people, but it is written specifically to save people. And he says this, and you'll hear this over and over again, to saved people, the wages of sin is death. Well, I think I can sin and God's okay with it. That's garbage. You're telling yourself a lie. The effect of sin in all of our lives is always, always, always death. It always has been. It always will be. It can't be anything but that. Sin always leads to death. And John is saying with great emphasis here, my little children, I'm writing this to you. Don't 
sin. And we're foolish to think we're not sinners. <laughs> I mean, we sin big and small. Now, we don't think the little sins are sins, but they are. See, I struggle with sexual temptation and anger. Those are the big two things that I struggle with. I don't know what your struggles are, but you probably know what your struggles are. Sometimes I think I got anger licked. Watch it, woman. (laughs) And then I drive. And I'm driving, and you guys know that there's like four, five, six lanes. The leftmost lane is called the fast lane because that's where you're supposed to go fast. I've seen some of you drive. Don't nod your head. I will point you out publicly. And we will put it online with your face with a want ad. It's called the fast lane. That means if there's somebody faster behind you, get out of that lane and don't go back. And so I go driving and I'm driving and I'm just enjoying life going a nice, easy 90. Brother Bernie's on the slow lane. Going a nice, easy 40 on the freeway, white-knuckling it behind it, Maybell. Just like, oh, man. But I'm going 90, and I'm just having fun. I'm talking. We're hitting bumps. Kind of scrape that center wall. I mean, that's what they do in NASCAR. That's how I figured we get there quicker. I don't have a pit crew for nothing. I'm kidding. I, I don't scrape the center wall yet. But then you're driving 90 or whatever the speed limit is. I don't know, speed limit. A speed limit is a relative term. I just go with the flow of traffic. And because I want to lead from the front, I go a little faster. Now don't come, I'm, I'm teenagers. I am, I am confessing my faults one to another. <laughs> but I'm having a good time. I'm listening to preaching and totally sinning at the same time. I, I have problems, but I... <laughs> I come up and I'm doing 90. And you know what's in the fast lane? A stupid Prius. I hate Priuses. Now, if you have a Prius, listen, Jesus loves you, so do I. But would you please get off the freeway? Smart cars don't belong on the freeway. Take that car somewhere else. We've got places to go. And And Prius owners think like they're doing the world a favor by slowing us down. They're like, just relax. I'll tell you when I'll relax, get out of the way. So I do what every God-loving American man does. And this is, I get behind him. You say, do you go past him? Not normally. I don't want the next generation to have to deal with that. So I do what some of you do. And I, man, I just boil. I'm like, come on, don't you know there's people behind you? We got places to go. We got to get there. And then this is what I do. I, I flash them. Some of you are like, I think we've been in front of you, Pastor. Because <laughs> I want them to know. And so I'm flashing. I'm like, get out of the way. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Hurry up. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. We got places to go. We got to, you know, go witness, share the gospel or get a taco or whatever the case may be. But we just got to go. Debbie goes, why are you in such a hurry? We're like 45 minutes. It's the principle of the matter. Can I get an Amen. So I'm flashing them, and they don't move. Prius owners, they're like waving like, hey. He's sending us Morris code. That dude's telling us he loves us for slowing him down. And so this, come on, let's be honest. This is what we do. This is what I do. I wait for a break. I wait for a little space. 
I hit sport on my little transmission button. I get in the other lane and I floor it, man. I fly by him. And as I fly by him, I fly by him like some 1984 gangster with a big gold chain. I'm like, You know what I'm talking about because many of you do the same thing. You're just not honest enough to say it. And I just look at him and I'm like, it's 90, speed limit, 90. My wife has said to me more than a few times, she said, you're going to get shot. You're going to get shot. <laughs> not, not from a person in a Prius. What are they going to hit me with? A pea shooter? You know, they're going to throw a little battery at me or something? Solar-powered car or something? I don't know. Don't sin. Don't sin. Pastor, how often do you get like that? One time it was Thanksgiving and we didn't have any energy drinks and we always leave late at night after the Tuesday night service. And so I I had the bright idea. I literally had the bright idea. I'll take some pre-workout because that has caffeine. There is other stuff in that mess. We're going through L.A. And Debbie's like, what in the world is your problem? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> we made it to Bakersfield in an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> it was bad. About three quarters of the way there, I'm like, I took pre-workout. She's looking at me like, why did I marry you? <laughs> it's so dumb on my part. Don't sin. Now, if you're a believer, here's the reality. You never sin without the Holy Spirit providing a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He says, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. But, I'm so thankful for the implied but of this verse. But if any man sin, or the implications of this verse, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. We see the solution for man's greatest problem in verse number 1B. 1A is the problem, sin. 1B is the solution. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's the solution. Well, what's the word advocate? It's an intercessor. It's a go-between. We would say it this way. It's an attorney. It's someone who defends us on our behalf or or fights for us. He's on our behalf. He's for us. He's an advocate. And we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. So get the idea. Don't sin. But if you sin, you have an advocate. Now, I preached out of 1 John 1, 2, in 2004, I don't know how I remember it, but it was 2004. And I preached that we are not, I mean, we've been learning this from the book of Romans. We are not no longer under the bondage or the control of sin like we were before salvation. Can I get an amen? That we were no longer under that. We're, we don't longer have to sin. Sin controlled us before salvation. We've been freed from sin and sin because of salvation. He that is dead, Romans 6, 7, is freed from sin. Don't have time to preach that message, but he that is dead is freed from sin, right? I mean, come on, isn't that a joy to know we're freed from sin? 
but we still sin. Why? Because we're still under the influence of it. Though we're not under its control, it still does have an influence in our life. It's unfortunate, but it is a reality. I remember preaching this message and I had a guy from Bible college. God bless every young man from Bible college. And he came up to me and he wasn't very young, but he came up to me and he said, I don't think we have to sin. I said, I don't think we have to either, but we do. And he said, well, I don't think we have to. I agree, we don't have to, but we do. Well, why do you say that we do? Because we do. Well, I, I mean, come on. And he was, I mean, he was, he was red in the face. You're not preaching the truth. No, I'm preaching the truth. We're free from its control. But do you know anybody that's free from sin? Do you know anybody that's ever attained a sinless perfection, which is a heretical doctrine that some people teach? Do you know anybody that's ever been freed from sin? No, but theoretically, it's there. Right, John says that. My little children, these things write I unto you that you don't sin. But if any man sin, because he's an old man and he understands that we all struggle with sin from time to time in our life. And when we struggle with sin, because we're going to sin, some of you would do real well to understand God doesn't expect you to be perfect. You're going to mess up, but when you mess up, you fess up. When you fall, you accept the fall. You, you, you just like, yeah, I'm not perfect. God understands that. God doesn't expect me to be perfect, but I need to work diligently to be who God wants me to be, how God wants me to be it. But there's going to be times. Let me tell you, I, I can do all the work in the world, but if I see a Prius in the fast lane, it's over. You say, well, why don't you just get victory over that? Well, you think I haven't tried? I don't, think, I don't think Christians should get angry. I don't think Christians should be condescending either. I, I don't think Christians should get angry. How many of you would agree with that statement? Like Christians should get angry. How many of us though get angry from time to time? How many of us the effects of the world happen to us? And so Paul, John is saying here, it's a different way of saying what Paul is going to say in Romans 6, 7, and 8. And that is this, don't sin, but if you sin, you have a go-between, an advocate, and his name is Jesus Christ the righteous. Well, what is he doing? Well, we learn this from the, gospel, from, the, from the Old Testament book of Job, where it seems like Satan has special access into heaven. And he goes before the Lord, and the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses the brethren to God, where Satan would go before God and say, say, God, do you know about Chris Chadwick? <laughs> he got on the freeway today, Lord, and let me tell you, let me tell you right now, there was a Prius in the fast lane. Did you see his anger? I'm not saying it's right. It's wrong. It's sin. Did you see his anger? God, you better do something. You better judge him. You better, you better make it known. You, better, you need to make it seen. I mean, Satan is just accusing. Oh, he's a failure. Oh, he's a failure. Oh, he's a failure. He's the prosecutor. He's telling God the, the lack of value that we have because of sin, the lack of power that we have because of sin, the inability that we have to, to do anything because we're a sinner. I mean, he's making us look bad and then worse and then worse than that. That's what Satan is doing. And he's doing all of that. And 
And then, then from the right hand of the throne of God, Jesus Christ himself stands up and he declares to the Father, Lord, he is unworthy, no doubt. He is a sinner, no doubt about it. Everything that Satan said to a point is right. But Father, you need to understand something. He is made righteous in your eyes because of my sacrifice. Oh, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Well, John knew what I know as a preacher and what every preacher knows, and that is this, that sometimes people don't get it because he didn't always get it. We could look at the, the Gospels and see that. Lord, can I sit on your right hand? Lord, can I sit on your left hand? I mean, that was, he understood. He got it. So he helps us cement this reality in our heart. Verse number two. And he, Jesus Christ the righteous, is the propitiation for our sins. Same word as verse number one, harmardia, to miss the mark. And not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. He's the propitiation. It's a fun word to say. Like Rancho Cucamonga, just fun. Propitiation, just fun. But it means something wonderful. It means the substitutionary payment for our sin or one who dies in our place. You see, a righteous God demands a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus Christ is the only perfect sacrifice. He's the means of putting away the sin debt that we owed God. I used to hear growing up, I've said this before, but I used to hear growing up that there's two ways to pay for your sin debt. You can either trust Jesus Christ or you can spend eternity in hell separated from God. I know what they were trying to say, but they're flawed. You spend eternity in hell and your sin debt is not one cent closer to being paid off than before you started. Your eternity in hell does not pay your sin debt. The only way your sin debt can be paid is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he is the substitutionary payment for our sin. He is the propitiation for our sin. He's the one who paid the price for your sin and mine. He's the one that died in our place. He's the only one who could pay that price. And before we get too haughty about it, before we get too out of control about it, we need to understand this this thing. It's not just for our sin, but the Bible literally says the sin of the whole world. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, he promises that if you'll come to him, he will not cast you out, that whoever calls on his name shall be saved. And that's not talking simply about a physical world. That phrase is talking about everyone everywhere for all time who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the substitutionary payment for their sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is so efficacious. It is so powerful. It is so holy. It is so amazing that it paid the price for all the sin in all the world for all mankind. You'll pay your sin debt. Well, pastor, what are the implications of that? 
Well, number one, you could be saved, right? I mean, that's pretty clear. You could be saved. Number two, when you're saved, there's always forgiveness available. I, I think that the attack of Satan on Americans in 2020s is anxiety, discouragement, depression, emotional struggles. And the vast majority of the emotional struggles come from people saying things like this. This is not a message on this, but I want to draw this application for a minute. Just for a minute, then we'll be done. People saying things like this. Well, I'm such a failure. I'll never do good. Every time I try, I fall down and I fall down and I fall down and I fall down and I just can't make it. And then, then anxiety, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic about that. If you hear that in my tone, it's not intended. And I just can't get back up. And every time I try, I fall. And every time I try, I try to live for God and I just mess up. And I try to live for God and I mess up. And I try to live for God and I mess up. Why should I even try? I mean, come on, do we not feel that way at times? Am I the only one in the room that feels that way? And we feel that way. And here's what he's saying. He's the propitiation for our sins. He's the substitutionary payment. He paid the price for you. Now listen, verse number one. My little children, these things write into you. Don't sin. But if you sin, now we're going to a present tense active verb phrase. All of that just means this is happening right now, today for you. This is not theoretical. This is not next week, not next month, not next year. This, listen to me, this is today. 2022, what is it, July 24th, I think. Is it the 24th? I have no idea. I haven't had cell reception for four days. July 24th, 2022. He's still the substitutionary payment for your sin debt. But I failed, Pastor, a thousand times and I feel like a complete loser. Don't feel like the, a complete loser. You've got the best attorney money could dream of. You've got a divine attorney. You've got an attorney that's never lost a case. He's better than Perry Mason. He's not only, some of you like, who is Perry Mason? Is he that guy that helped Canyon Ridge during the lawsuit? <laughs> Barney doesn't know who Perry Mason is. Why do we not have to have anxiety, defeat, depression, discouragement? Because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he's fighting for you if you're saved. He's fighting for me. John's going to go through First John, and we would see that he's going to say, it's almost like First John in some ways is a, is a very heavy, heavy book. Some of you will remember because it, when we studied it, those of you that were here during that time, that First John, is in, in a lot of ways, it's something like this. You're probably not saved, and here's why. Or if you're like this, it means you're probably not saved, 
I had people coming up to me when I'm preaching, like, I don't feel like I'm saved. And I'm like, after looking at your life, I don't either. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I never said that. I didn't even believe that. It was just a funny line. But the reality is there's times when I look at it like the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Make sure that you're really saved. Make sure that your heart is right with God. Make sure that you're close to the Lord. And, and, and I want to get back just for a second on this idea of anxiety and, and discouragement and defeat. Can I just stop everyone in the room because we all struggle with this because it's the struggle of the age. I believe there are demonic attacks in our world that lead to these things. And I think we can see that throughout the scripture. You say, well, how do you deal with that, Pastor? during these times the same way everyone has to deal with it we have to run to the father who is an encourager who is a helper he is our paraclete he left us the that that's really what the word propitiation means it's paracletos the same word that God uses for the Holy Spirit and I will leave you a comforter I will leave you the paracletos I will leave you the one to come alongside you and comfort you you're not getting it so Bernie's going to help me so last time for five weeks he can help me Bernie's struggling He's having a bad day. He's broke down. Haven't been any Skittles in his life in 15 days. He's just struggling. He's almost to the point of being on the ground. Here's Pericletos, one who comes along. Oh, I got you. Put your arm around me. My yoke is easy. Dude, you gained some weight. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And, he, and, he, and he's helping. I'll carry this. I've got this, but I'm having a bad day. Yeah, 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 just trust me. But I'm struggling. Yeah, I get it. Just trust me. But you don't know the struggles of sin in my life. Yeah, yeah, I don't have to. Just trust me. Matter of fact, trust in me with, oh, man, get taller. Trust, oh, my soul. Trust in me with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. This is the idea of the parakletos. This is the idea of the propitiation. This is the idea of the comforter. It's not God sitting out on the sidelines going, hey, Bernie, turn left. Oh, stop right there. Buy Leslie flowers. Maybe the last one. Or that's me. I don't know which one. But it's this. This is what it is. So I have a question for you. Most Christians live their life like my dog, princess. We run from the one who redeemed us. We run from the one who has our best interest at heart. Why are you hiding from the God who loves you? Why don't you let him comfort you? Why don't you let him encourage you? It's not gonna happen watching some Twilight movie and listen to Megadeth. It's not going to happen gorging yourself to smithereens with food or smoking weed or getting drunk. It's not going to happen with depression sitting in the corner listening to Zanfir on his pan flute. Late night TV in the 90s. It's going to happen. Victory is going to happen as we yield to him. Here's the question. Are you running from the Lord or to the Lord? Is your life a picture of running to the Lord? Well, I just thought I'd trust in for a while to see how it looked. It's going to end in death. 
It can't end any other. I just thought it'd be fun for a while. Yeah, there's pleasure in sin for a season. It's a short season. It's like a fish nibbling on a hook. Or fish don't, I'm sorry, let me rephrase this. Fish don't nibble on hooks. They nibble on bait. Then they take the hook and then it's too late. Run to the Lord passionately, purposefully. Pursue the one that has your best interest at heart. Don't get under the waterbed. Don't make the preacher come in and sneak through and pull his hand and try to grab you back and start gnarling on his hand anymore. No, no, just, just come close to Jesus. But pastor, I've been hurt in the past. I get it. Run to the comforter. Pastor, I've hurt myself in the past. I get it. Run to the comforter. Pastor, I've hurt my family in the past. I get it. Run to the comforter. Well, then what do I do from there? Keep running to the comforter. What do I do tomorrow? Run to the comforter. What do I do the next day? Run to the comforter. He said, well, you make it sound so simple. Well, it's pretty simple. Might not be easy because we have to die to self to do it, don't we? Might not be easy. We need the grace of God, praise his holy name, a grace that he provides every time. But it is simple. I wonder tonight, are you running to Jesus or you're running from Jesus. I titled this message, Solving Life's Greatest Problem. The greatest problem for the believer is running from what Jesus tells them to do. The solution is to run to the one who is your defender, your advocate, your comforter. Run to him. Father, bless our time in the world. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.